0: I feel like I just watched that movie, Dave, where the guy pretends to be president and he comes in and he's like, you know what? Enough of this red tape. Let's just fix the country. and they do it. It's so inspiring. <laughs> Greetings. Welcome back to the first Stack Overflow podcast for the new year of 2020. I'm Ben Popper, director of content at Stack Overflow. So if you're like me and you're from New York, you know that last week, 10,000 or so parking meters here went on the fritz and would not accept credit cards. That's because the software inside was designed with an effective end date of January 1st, 2020. Why that happened is still unknown, but it brings to mind the intersection of software and government. Our guest this week for the interview is Matt Cutts, formerly the head of the web spam team at Google and now the administrator of U.S. Digital Services. So we talk a lot about what it's like to work at the White House and how software developers can have a really impactful career inside of today's government. Stick around for that and welcome back.
1: Before we start this interview, we should uh, disclose some things. First of all, I, really, I don't have any investment relationship with Matt, but I've always thought he was really cool.
2: Yeah. And I know Matt uh, by being a great investor and supporter in Joel Bath, So I'm excited to talk to him about his government experience.
0: Yes. And I was pitched uh, by Digital Services. So it wasn't Sarah who brought the idea to us. It was the White House. So fair enough. Fair play to them. All right. Let's talk to this guy.
3: So my name is Matt Cutts, I'm the administrator of the US Digital Service, which is the group of geeks that helped rescue healthcare.gov whenever it went down in 2014. And we just celebrated our fifth birthday, and so we've really enjoyed uh, being in the federal government and trying to make things work better for the American public. And I was at Google for a long time, before that I worked on the web spam team, trying to make sure that we would protect the quality of Google's search results.
0: So digital services, I'm thinking forest services, you are there to fix things when things go wrong and you're also there to preempt them or to build new tools that will make things better?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, for example, if a database goes down outside of St. Louis, you know, and, and suddenly somebody needs some Sybase or Postgres stuff uh done differently, then then we can certainly do that. We also engage with people hopefully before things go wrong. So doing things like trying to give advice on how to write good contracts, even evaluating contractors. And so we've done projects, for example, like uh, the Small Business Administration. It's really difficult to participate in the federal eco, you know, contracting ecosystem and like become a contractor for the federal government. And it turns out SBA has sort of these, these provisions that let people that are small businesses sort of compete for these federal contracts a little bit better. Previously, the system uh, was all paper. And so we helped SBA pull three different systems together. So 8A, which is women and uh, minority owned businesses. So making these systems online, making them easier to use. So it can be everything from a crisis to, you know, multiple years worth of working together on building a new system.
1: Okay, so you are working at one point for one of the largest, most complicated, um, most terrifying organizations in the world, by which I mean Google. And then you take a little break, and then suddenly you're like, hey, I, I need to go do something really fun, which is work in the United States government. And could you contrast – like you are for listeners who don't know Matt, he was the only person you could talk to from Google. Like he was just out there like, <laughs> let's help. What do you need? There's some sp- – oh, you were ahead of web spam or you were ahead of spam? Yep. Right. So it was like you had a problem. You could actually talk to this person. And God bless Google. They give us all the information, but they're not the easiest folks to get in touch with. So, so very public, very sort of public-facing but part of a big org. And then you go into the government, a whole lot of different – things like that first month what were the things that you were learning what was surprising <laughs> well it was funny
3: because i thought i had a difficult time getting things done at google i was like oh it's so big there's so much process here and it turns out there are larger organizations than google <laughs> you know uh, the department of veterans affairs has close to 400,000 employees and so talking about a civil service that's on par with the entire country of the United Kingdom or something. But what was really interesting is the first six months that I was at the U.S. Digital Service, I started at the Pentagon. And so literally the first week that I showed up, the head of the team there said, look, if you show up a week early, we're going to go to Afghanistan and we're going to see the kinds of issues that warfighters run into. And so on Friday after I started, we were on a flight to Dubai. And so on one hand, yes, lots of new acronyms to learn. On the other hand, wow, super inspiring to see the ways that people will just try to get good work done and work around whatever sort of red tape they have to. And I guess I view our job as like where we can making those systems easier so that there's either not as much obstacles or the friction isn't as bad or all of the stuff that you all are well, well aware of, but user-centered design and, and doing those sorts of things.
2: What is the thing that you are were most surprised by about this job? I'm sure that it was – I'm sure you felt – fairly educated on your way in but I know there's always those surprises so
3: you know I think the biggest surprise for me was at Google they have a process for shipping products and you have to have something approved by you know legal and security and press and internationalization and you know but once you've got all the check boxes mm-hmm. done you can flip the switch at any time you want you can flip it at 1am you can flip it the next day it's sort of like okay the safeties are off and and go forth and, and do what you want to do In government, um, there's definitely a little bit more uh, aversion to risk. And so you can build an entire system, but then you also need to have what's called an authority to operate or an ATO. And that's basically where somebody signs off and says, I am willing to bear the risk of this new system. And because that is scary, like nobody wants to get called to testify in front of Congress, you often end up with, once you've built the system, then you have to go through a whole process of documenting, often involving reams and reams of paper. Like, here are the 400 items that I guarantee these controls are all met before you can actually turn the system on. So that that was something that I'd never even conceived of at Google. Like, once it's ready, you know, it's ready. Um, and and that's not the case. And, and it is also true that government needs to serve the entire public. So there's very good reasons to move cautiously. Um, but it is definitely a little bit harder to launch things in government compared to the tech industry.
0: So when you made that trip to Afghanistan, did anything come of that? Was that something where you saw areas you might be able to apply some of these digital skills?
3: Yeah. So th- whenever we went, there was a system called ANET, which stands for AdvisorNet. And and basically all of these different governments were trying to help the Afghan government stand up and and basically create the infrastructure and the governance to try to stand up as a country that will do well on its own. And so you have these advisors who are going out into dangerous places, meeting with individual people, and those folks need to be able to write notes, so that if somebody comes along six months later, a new person, they can say, oh, okay, here's what the negotiations were like for a school, or here's the discussion that we had. And we ended up writing a system that was open source, and then lots of different people can can use that in their own course of things. So it's been used outside of Afghanistan. And it's really fascinating because we thought about launching or writing it in something like Go, and then we're like, no, this is a project that we'll need to hand off. And so you want it to be widely supported by, you know, any given contractor that comes along. So I, I believe we ended up writing it in Java because that's going to be a lot easier to find the next set of people who
1: can support it. When you say it's open source and in Java, could I go download the CRM for Afghanistan right now? Like, how does this stuff get out into the world?
3: One of the great things is that the the U.S. government has, uh, you know, announced that it prefers open source where possible and where it's appropriate. And so you can go to places like code.gov and code.mil and you can find open source that the the U.S. government has produced. And so you might think, the federal government is behind on, you know, some things, but it's actually leaning in in a lot of ways on, on things like, uh, it's it's definitely much better compared to several years ago on things like the cloud, for example.
0: That's pretty cool. So you're saying if something is written as an application for a federal agency and funded by public dollars, the inclination these days, if it's not a national security risk, is to make that code available for other people to tinker with or use. I think that's culturally
3: where things are going. I mean, it's it's definitely the case that a few people think about open source and they say, oh, does that mean it's less secure? You know, and so there's definitely some education that needs to happen. And of course, any given government agency I've learned will often have multiple, you know, grants management software and all that sort of stuff. But you do see more agencies using things like Salesforce or, you know, software as a service, you know, leaning in to, to use Microsoft or, or Amazon or whoever in the cloud, those kinds of things.
2: Uh, I think no matter what our jobs are, our personal belief system kind of factors in. I always wonder about working directly on technology that is linked to the government, how much that is in your day to day, or if not at all, if you feel like you're completely isolated by policy and things that you are either positively or negatively affected by.
3: You know, Jen Palka uh, basically talks about things like government is who shows up. You know, and and also government is all just all of us. And so if you think about the percentage of your paycheck that goes to taxes and the government, you want that money to be, you know, well stewarded and well spent. And you want to make sure that government programs work well. And so, you know, at Google, I kind of had an overdeveloped sense of right and wrong. And whenever I saw something bad on the Internet, kind of like XKCD, I would go to try to fix it. What's fascinating about government is the impact is so huge. And so, yes, it is the case that whenever I see a bad website, I, I tend to get frustrated. And, and, you know, why isn't this, a, you know, an SSL site or instead of uh, an insecure site, those kinds of things. But I have to say working at the U.S. Digital Service is deeply, deeply meaningful. Like you feel a sense of purpose. And, and the individual days are hard and the individual days are filled with meetings. But when you look up, three months later or six months later, you know, we've got somebody who came in and in five months was able to change a policy about how things are reimbursed for for diabetics with glucose monitors. and And that's something that can affect everybody in the country who cares about mm-hmm. that issue. And so to be able to see that much of an impact be possible is really kind of addictive, I have to admit. <laughs>
0: So, I guess when I think of government, I often think of things getting bogged down in partisan debate and then, you know, slow legislative process. Talk us through this uh, glucose solution. How is that a software problem that maybe sidesteps some of the uh, political bureaucracy?
3: Honestly, we're just trying to make government work better. And so think about things like paper forms and converting those to be online and digital so that they can work on your phone. Like this is this is the kind of work that you can go home at Thanksgiving and everybody around the table would be proud of you like mom and apple pie. Um, mm. So the specific project that was glucose monitoring is um, – you know, it turns out that medical devices need to be certified as safe. And so uh, Medicare was basically saying, okay, uh, if you have a continuous glucose monitor, which is the sort of thing you'll wear on your arm if you have diabetes, uh, we're not going to allow it to to talk to a phone. Because if it talks to a phone, then do we have to certify the phone as a medical device? And now you've opened up a Pandora's box that's really difficult to to figure out what to do. So because Medicare said that it wouldn't pay for devices that could connect to a phone, literally device manufacturers were contemplating and thinking about, okay, we're gonna make these devices, but we'll sort of make them so that they can't talk to phones. And so now you've got an inefficient model. And so this one person came in and she said, "Look, this is this is not a great policy." And so, you know, basically made a PowerPoint deck and marshaled the arguments and and got some data and sort of shopped that around within the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and 5 months later, the administrator of CMS, Seema Verma, an, announced a new policy that said Medicare would pay for these kinds of devices that can connect to a phone. So I was I was trying to explain to a friend, well, okay, what is the US digital service? Because some people are like, I, I know you did healthcare.gov, maybe you helped make new websites, but I don't I don't really get it. And I and I told that story, and my friend lives in California, and her dad, who is an Air Force vet, uh, has diabetes and he's in Oklahoma. And she's like, Wait, so you're telling me this person came in and in five months, she changed a policy that means like I might be able to keep an eye on my dad and make sure that he's got good insulin levels. And I'm like, that's right. And she said, okay, now I get it. Now I see why this is important and why you need technology people around the table to help make sure that, you know, things get implemented well, or that, you know, if there's policy, we we don't, we don't directly deal with policy, but, you know, we can provide some input to the sorts of people who do like that's super, super impactful.
0: Yeah. Wow. I feel like I just watched that movie, Dave, where the guy pretends to be president and he comes in and he's like, you know what? Enough of this red tape. Let's just fix the country. And they do it. It's so inspiring.
1: I don't know if I just watched that movie listening to that. What I'm hearing is like an enormous PowerPoint has to get presented to a lot of stakeholders, yeah. and people, and consensus needs to be built over five relatively long months. But it gets done. Yeah. Well,
2: I think that's really reflective of where you are in your career.
1: Yeah, this is, true. <laughs> this is what this is what I do all day. Um, how big is the U.S. digital service? We're about
3: 170 technologists. And half of us are directly hired into what's called the Office of Management and Budget. And then half of the people are directly hired into like Veterans Affairs or the Department of Homeland Security or the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services.
1: Which which part of the government are you in? So
3: we're in the executive branch. uh, And technically, the Office of Management and Budget sits in the executive office of the president. So it is a little surreal. Like I, I do have a blue badge that would let me walk into the West Wing if necessary. In the in the previous administration, there was a meeting in the Situation Room where they gave the status update from a State Department thing, and and they were eating donuts in the Situation Room. So you do get a, a fair amount of pretty, what would be bizarre, you know, experiences if you're just like I'm a startup, and you know the big advantage is I get a
1: stand up desk or something
3: like that. On the other hand, solutions. on the other hand, you don't get free food, so.
1: I mean you're living between two very different administrations all sorts of stuff like it sounds like you're keeping your head down
3: No I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I I'd, I'd say more like we're we're trying to get good work done so we've done uh, the White House had a developers conference called Blue Button and then this year Blue Button 2.0 and so those are initiatives announced with the White House that are it's it's called data at the point of care so like if imagine if one of us unfortunately gets hit by a bus, we're brought to the emergency room, we're unconscious, you don't know what their blood type is, you don't know anything about their medical records or or anything like that. If you could swipe somebody's Medicare card and be able to access what are the treatments that they've received, that might be able to save somebody's life, it might be able to shave minutes off the time And this is one of these things where the administrator of of CMS, again, Seema Verma, got a phone call where her husband, you know, was in the hospital and they needed to know what medications he was on. And she was traveling at the time. And so you see these very deeply personal stories motivated by people who have had these experiences. So we've been able to do fantastic work in this administration, just like in the previous administration. And, And the fact is, Nobody wants government to be slow and inefficient and waste money. Like, it's it's a nonpartisan thing to say, this should be fast. This should be, you know, easy. It should work on your mobile phone. You know, nobody wants a system that runs on a mainframe that's 40 years old.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I can relate to that. I had a horrific accident. I've I've had it every year. It's called paying my taxes. <laughs> and I wonder if there's something perhaps within that area you could focus on that would make it less hellish for the average American?
2: This is the part of the show where we all give Matt suggestions <laughs> based on our personal experience.
0: Just an app where I pay my taxes, and there's a little bit of uh, choose-your-own-adventure. Well,
3: I will say we did help with the IRS. For a while, they were having issues with fraud, and it was specifically an issue where people were impersonating other people and then claiming that they were due for a refund. And, and I actually have a friend at, named Brian who was at, at Google, and when I told him I was heading to the U.S. Digital Service and I was hoping to work on fraud at, at the IRS, he's like, wow. man, that happened to me. Like somebody stole my identity and now I have to use a pen and it's really annoying. And so we did help do a secure transcript feature at the IRS, and we actually worked on trying to make it easier for income information to flow between the IRS and the Department of Education. So, you know, there are a lot of different places where we've done either short-term engagements. Um, If if you're talking about, wouldn't it be great if the taxes were like Norway, where you just got a a postcard and you signed it if everything looked good and you sent it back, you know, that would be ideal. But uh, we're going to need a lot more than, you know, 160, 170 technologists to make something like that happen.
1: Talk about your team a little bit. How are they structured? So you have 170, um, and, and I'm really curious as to how much of your work is kind of consulting and advising and how much is building? So in the previous
3: administration, we did a little more firefighting. So like a system would go down and and we would try to get it back up. And we have done some of that in this administration. But uh, what we've realized is we've established deeper ties. The question is basically given one new person, what is the best way to spend that person's time and it turns out that for the most part, if you help get good contractors in place, that can be an enormous impact. And so, for example, we did one project with an agency where we helped them select contractors. And normally, whenever you're bidding for a contract, you turn in reams and reams of paper that tell everybody how smart you are. And then somebody reads those reams of paper and says, you know, maybe this person's smart, maybe they're not. They mark up with a some score. And we did something different. We said, okay, write us some code. And then we had the engineers at the U.S. Digital Service evaluate that code. And so that way you're able to find better contractors, so you're more likely to have a project actually work out well. So these days we're more likely to do mm-hmm. things like help train contracting officers on how to write good contracts, how to how to vet people who could be good. And then occasionally we do roll up our sleeves and actually write code or you know we're specifying an API or something like that. The structure of the organization is... It's about one-third, one-third, one-third between engineers, product managers, and designers. And then we have some fabulous folks who help with things like hiring. We've got a whole, our talent team so that we don't go through the main hiring process the federal government does. We've kind of hacked it a little bit so that things run a lot smoother than it does with the normal process. Uh, and then we've we've also got, you know, folks like people who help us with communication, people who help us with events. but. Primarily, it's, it's design, engineering, and product management.
0: Terrific. Well, I think we've got about five minutes left. Um, is there anything specific that you wanted to get in? Um, anything you wanted to plug or for have us include in the show notes? Now would be the time to let us know and we can chat a little bit about it.
3: Yeah. I mean, the, the one shameless plug that I'll do is just, if this sounds interesting to you, you know, consider going to usds.gov and just checking it out. It, it, if you have autocomplete on your browser, you can literally <laughs> apply to join the U.S. digital service in about 90 seconds. I've timed it. There's been a real renaissance in the last five to seven years or so, and it's you're just at the ground floor. Colorado just announced a digital service. California is starting an office of digital innovation, you know, there's New Jersey, Massachusetts, there's so many different states doing it. There's a lot of countries starting up a digital service. And then there's a ton of interesting organizations, things like Coding It Forward is for sort of college-age folks who want to do an internship. There's a group called Tech Congress for people who want to bring their technology expertise into Congress to help make better policy. There's things called Presidential Innovation Fellows. There's an amazing group called 18F, which is named for the corner of 18th Street and F Street, uh, where they do amazing technology products. And so, like, first and foremost, I would just say, look, this is a completely different experience. If you're, if you're like, if you look back over the last week or month and can't remember what you worked on, or it doesn't feel that meaningful, you know, try something different. Try something to get out of that rut. And uh, I guarantee you six months, one-year tour at the U.S. Digital Service or in one of these other areas, uh, you will probably come out with a very different perspective that's worth checking out.
1: I've known a lot of people who've gone into this world, and one of the, I think one of the most common things that happens, I, I want to throw this at you and see what you say. I'm an engineer, and I'm really interested in this, but I don't know how I feel about the U.S. military, but I really do care about civil service. What should I do?
3: That's totally fine. If if you interview with us and you're like, I can do all of the stuff, but, you know, I don't want to work on a military project, even though historically the projects have been things like helping service members move across the country. Like it's one of the most stressful things you can do. And making that system work well is just really helping people. Like if you don't – if you're like, I am – anti that thing, you might still be okay with like helping out a veteran, you know, somebody who's finished their active service, and now just wants to access their health care benefits. Uh, so it's absolutely the case that we can have those conversations because the federal government is huge, and the problems are vast. And so uh, even for the people who think, ah, you know, what skills do I have, it turns out, probably the skills that the people who have who are listening to this podcast would absolutely be critical at a state or a municipal or at the federal level. So there is there is a way to add some value. And I will say it is it is like a graduate level course in stakeholder management. You might walk in as an engineer and walk out as, you know, an, a triple combo engineer, product manager with a little bit of design chops. So it's it's really fascinating how much cross-disciplinary work there can be at times.
1: No, and I've definitely the people who uh I know who've gone and, and connected to this part of the technology world do find it really, really meaningful. And it it's as you described, like they might have a lot of feelings about the different things the government does, but helping veterans get benefits is something they really feel you know, they feel very good about it. Um it's it's meaningful work. So good. Good for meaningful work. Yay. Awesome. All right, Matt,
0: thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Where can folks find you online if they want to chat with you and uh, where should they go if they want to maybe try a tour? Absolutely.
3: People can find me online. Uh, You know, I'm just Matt Cutts on Twitter, but uh, the best place to find where I'm hanging out is usds.gov. You can read about all the projects that we're working on and see whether it might be a fit for something that you'd like to try for a little while.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Matt Cuts. We are going to be shouting out a few folks in the community who managed to nail the lifeboat badge. In Visual Studio, assembly version with a star won't work. Thank you, Animesh Parikh. JavaScript, what's the difference between a function and a class? Thank you to Tiro Tolonin. And what's the easiest way to convert a DICOM, D-I-C-O-M, image to a PNG? Mark Sichel. So thanks to our life boaters of the week, folks who came in and took a question that was consigned to the dustbin of history, answered it, and helped spread knowledge. We'll be back next week. Thanks as always for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the episode, please do share it on social media. Head on over to your favorite podcast program, subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks.